0: Well, good morning, Golden Corner Church. Good deal. Good morning to all of you who may be visiting with us. We're just thrilled to death to have you here. Uh, this, today, I want to continue a series of sermons entitled The Mystery of Suffering. And for those of you who may be visiting w- with us for the first time, here's what we're doing. We've been working our way through the Old Testament book of Ruth in search of an answer to a question. Why would a good God allow bad things to happen to good people. Now, today we've, we've, we've come to the final chapter, chapter number four. And we're in just a few minutes, I'm going to read a few verses from the chapter. But before I do, I kind of want to set the stage. And for those of you who have been here for the previous three Sundays, I'm going to ask you to be patient with me because I'm going to backtrack for just a second all the way to the beginning. So to have your permission to do that. Okay, this group right here said go for it, so I am. (laughs) We've been tracking the lives of two ladies. Uh, One was a Jewish lady by the name of Naomi. And the other was her Gentile widowed daughter-in-law. Her name was Ruth. Naomi was married to a man named Elimelech. They had two sons, Malon and Kilion. One day Elimelech led his family to relocate, leave the country, to leave Israel and to settle in a in a land called Moab. Now the reason he felt they should do this is they're trying their best to survive a really severe famine. I think it was just an act of desperation. I think they tried everything they knew to do. It's not getting any better. So they're thinking, man, if we could just go over here just for a little while, it's gonna just temporarily. I think, it, I think it's going to work out for us. And so, think about this, how difficult this would be. Left their home, left their farm, left their extended family, left their friends, left their culture. I mean, everything. But, I'm only going to be there a little while. Well, what was supposed to be temporary turned into a 10-year-long nightmare. That's what it turned into. While in Moab, Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died. She buried her husband there. She had her two sons, and probably within the span of those, somewhere in the span of those ten years, both of them died. So she loses her entire family. She hears that God is blessing in Israel again, she and Ruth make a decision, let's go back. So they make this difficult trek from Moab back to Israel, and in particular, they go to Naomi's hometown, Bethlehem. They arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest, which was going to lead into the wheat harvest. Now, you hang with me, okay? I just want want to make sure you got the story. Now, Ruth decides she's going to take advantage of what I guess we would call the welfare program. It was something that biblically was in place, and The way the law read was, if you were harvesting your fields, you had to leave a certain amount. And once the harvesters exited the field, the poor could come in and pick up what you left behind. So she decides, I need to do that. That's probably the only way we're going to survive So the Bible said, as it happened, she goes out to glean in the fields, and she found herself working in a field that belonged to a man named Boaz. Another key character in this story. We're told that Boaz was a godly man. Uh, We're told that he was a wealthy man. And we're told that he was a close relative of Naomi and Ruth's deceased husbands. And so he showed grace to Ruth. In other words, he did things for her that far exceeded the requirements of the law. He was kind to her. Well, her, after her first day of gleaning, she goes home to her mother-in-law, Naomi, and she has gleaned 30 pounds of grain. This was an extraordinary amount. Immediately, Naomi knows, oh, okay, somebody has been awful good to you today. She said, whose fields did you work in today? And she said, hey, I worked in the fields of a man named Boaz. Well at that moment Naomi has an aha she has one of those aha moments. She saw something. She saw that God's hand was still on their lives. She believed that Naomi, excuse me, that Ruth and Boaz had not met by chance but that God had orchestrated this and brought the two together as a means of taking care of them. She thought Boaz is certainly the instrument of God that he's going to use to get us through the next 7 to 10 weeks of our lives. But she saw more. I think she saw him as a potential long-term solution to the problem. You know what she believed? She believed that Boaz and Ruth would one day get married. Now, for those of you here for the first time, the first Sunday we kind of used our imagination to, to, to picture these people. We, we've come to the conclusion that Ruth... Probably looked like Angelina Jolie when she was in her prime, huh? Mark was over there going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. "I saw him. I'm, I'm telling you." And <laughs> we determined that Boaz, he was a middle-aged man. She was a young woman. He was a middle-aged man. He probably looked kind of like Sean Connery when he was middle-aged. You know, so Sheila's over going.
1: Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm.
0: But Naomi, she says, I think I see what's going to happen. I think Boaz is going to marry Ruth, and they're going to have a son, and that son will carry on my deceased son's name. And I think more than that's going to happen, I think Boaz is going to buy my husband's estate, and in the end will give that estate to the son that he and Ruth had. She thought she had it all figured out. Well, apparently, she grew tired of waiting on Boaz to figure it out. And uh, she grew tired of waiting on Ruth to figure it out. So she calls Ruth aside and said, Here's what you need to do go propose to that man. Ask him to marry you. So she did. What do you think he said? Now remember, he's a middle aged guy, she's a hot young woman. Huh? What do you think he said? He said, "Uh, absolutely, oh yeah. (laughs) And he told her, he said, yes, I will, but we've got a huge problem. There's a relative who has the right to purchase this estate and he has the right to marry Ruth if he wants to. There's somebody ahead of me. And he looked at Ruth and he said, now don't you worry. I'm going to go and I'm going to take care of this. So he sends Ruth home to Naomi. She tells Naomi everything. And Naomi gave Ruth some fantastic advice. She said, be patient. Just be patient. Give this man time. He's going to take care of all of this. Now that brings us to the beginning of chapter 4. You ready? That wasn't too bad for a recap, was it? You got the the story, don't you? So we come to chapter 4. Boaz goes down to, to the city gate in Bethlehem. That's where all the deals were done. He's looking for the guy that has the right to buy the estate and to marry Ruth. And he finds him. He said, he, I, he pulls up a chair and said, Friend, why don't you sit down and let's talk for a while. The gentleman said, Sure. He says, Hang on just a minute. i got to get some witnesses. Now, that's always a bad sign. i got to get some witnesses. He gets ten guys to gather around them. And he said, Just want to make sure that you know that Naomi's going to sell Elimelech's property And you're first in line to buy it. Now, if you want to buy it, that's great. But if you're not, I really need to know uh, what you want to do. I just believe that, I believe his heart was racing. I, I believe he was on the edge of his seat, just waiting to see what this guy would say, just hoping he would say, nah, nah. And the gentleman, I believe, studied for just a minute. He said, yeah, I'll buy it. Oh, man. You know, at first I thought maybe Boaz's heart sank. I don't think it did. I believe that he's already played this scenario out in his mind. And he is ready. He is standing already. He says, okay. But you do understand that if you buy the estate, that Ruth the Moabitess comes along with this property. And you will have to marry her. Hopefully have a son with her. And one day give him all the land. You want to do that? I believe he studied for just a minute and he said, no. Now I believe he had to study for a minute because, hey, after all, Ruth was hot. Come on, baby. (laughs) He had to really think. This is what he said. I'm going to give you a hodge paraphrase. He said something like this, "Uh, dude, I'm married. That could present a problem, couldn't it? i got kids, we've got the inheritance set up, and if, 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 I, if I bring this girl to my home, it's just not going to work out. You think? Really? You come walking in with Angelina Jolie, bringing her home to your wife, you think that's got a chance of working? Oh, no, no, no. I don't care what you say. Hey, honey, i got a sweet deal on some property, and she was just part of the deal. Still ain't going to fly. So the guy said, I, I, I can't do it. And he stands up and he takes off a shoe and he hands it to Boaz. You say, I don't think this man is real bright. Well, it is kind of weird. But in that culture, if you had the right to purchase and you were going to pass over that right, you would take off one shoe and you would hand it to the person you were passing the right of purchase over to. And that's what he was doing. Well, as soon as Boaz gets his hands on that shoe, he whirls around and says, you all saw it. You all know it. I'm buying that land and I'm marrying that girl. You got it? <laughs> oh, Lord, I'm having fun with this. You know that. I, I, I love this story. Well, everybody said, yeah, we got it. We got it nailed down. And they began to wish him the best Now, you think about this. Boaz, at some point, has to let Ruth know what has happened. Now, he can't text. He can't email. He can't call. What's he got to do? He's got to go where she is. Now, this next part of the sermon comes completely out of my imagination. I just want to go on record of saying that, okay? So don't go looking for this part this afternoon. Where's that part where he said, it ain't in there? It's in here. Don't. So... Boaz has got to go. I believe that he mounted this beautiful, solid white horse. That's okay, isn't it? Hey, listen, why would a wealthy man walk? I believe that horse had a black leather saddle with silver studs on it, and I believe this old man jumped up on that horse and he started to Naomi's house. And let me tell you what—he wasn't just ambling along. You know he. Yeah. I'm telling you, I believe full gallop. I believe the salt and pepper hair was flying. You know, I believe that back at Naomi's house, Naomi and Ruth got their faces pressed against the glass. They're waiting to see what's going on. They see this old man on a white horse coming wide open. I believe he pulled the reins back with then and he comes sliding right up to the porch. <laughs> Jumps off and starts across the porch by the time the door opens. Ruth steps up and Naomi's behind her. I believe that old man walked straight up to her without saying a word, and I believe he kissed her. I believe he kissed her right on the mouth and said, I've been waiting a long time to do that. Okay, you won't find that in the Bible, okay. It was pretty sweet, though, wasn't it? I believe he said to her then, Ruth, we got to plan our wedding. Plan it, they did. They were married. Oh, Boaz said, I do. Ruth said, You better. <laughs> right? Is that the way it went? He took her home to his house. Do you get this? Here is this poverty stricken Gentile woman wondering how to make it through another day. She marries a man of incredible means. He takes her home to his house. I'm telling you, I bet it was the big house. I bet it was the one everybody could see it was on. I just pictured on a hill. I'm using a lot of imagination today. That's not in there either. His house became her house. The way I read the Bible. She must have conceived very quickly. And she gave birth to a son. And they named him Obed. Now this is where we're going to pick up and read some. Chapter 4 verse 14. Then the women of the town said to Ruth. Is that what it says? Now get this, y'all. Then the women of the town said to Naomi. Praise the Lord. She, Oh man. She she knew the architect and engineer behind all this. Oh praise they did. These these women did. Praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family. They began to pray for this child. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law Ruth. I love this. Who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast, and she cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbor women said, now at last Ruth has a son again. Was it? Did I get that right? Naomi. This is a, a, this is a real case of a grandparent takeover. This is what this is. <laughs> now at last Naomi has a son again, and they named him Obed. Now, I you look at this. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of King David. Now, from this lineage, what famous person eventually came? Jesus. Jesus. Now, you're still with me, right? I've got to share a quick lesson with you. What are we learning in this story? It's a big one. It's an important one. God uses broken pieces to create masterpieces. You got it? God uses broken pieces to create masterpieces. Broken pieces make great building blocks in the hand of God. He specializes in taking shattered lives and fragmented dreams and piecing them together so carefully That the final result is beautiful. Breathtaking. Awe inspiring. A masterpiece is an artist's crowning achievement. When I read the final chapter of Ruth. I feel I'm standing in some prestigious art gallery. Looking at the work of a true master. Master. Let's start by looking at Naomi's life. Her life had come full circle. She went from full fullness to emptiness and now back to fullness. It had been a long, confusing, difficult journey. Along the way, God allowed some bad things to happen to Naomi. Bad things that resulted in great loss. Misfortune had created gaping holes in her life. Naomi lost her family. She had no one to provide for, no one to care for, no one to protect her. And she had no one to care for. So what did God do? Piece by piece, God restored her family. Now, he didn't resurrect her deceased husband and sons. He didn't give her another husband and more sons. But he did provide her with a family. First of all, Naomi had to have someone who would love her, who would put her first, who would be good to her. So God sent Ruth into Naomi's world. A daughter-in-law. And I don't mean that facetiously, but a daughter-in-law. But a daughter-in-law who would be better to her than seven sons. Second, Naomi needs somebody to provide for and to protect her. So God sent Boaz into her life. He provided Naomi with a kinsman redeemer. Naomi was going to be cared for by a very wealthy and generous man, which means that from this point on, she would never lack anything. She didn't have to worry about how the power bill is going to be paid at the end of the month. You know, she was no longer in that strata of poverty stricken widows. I mean, she went from the bottom to the top just like that. Third, God gave Naomi a grandson. And in this grandson, Naomi found a reason to get out of bed in the morning. She found a new purpose. She had to care for and raise her grandson. And this mission injected excitement and energy into this aging woman. She was loved again. And once again, she had someone to love. What an eclectic mix. Have you ever thought about this? What an eclectic mix. A daughter-in-law. A relative who would become the kinsman redeemer and a grandson broken pieces God took broken pieces and rebuilt Naomi's life until it was a masterpiece what about Well, there's more, what about Ruth look how things are working out for her she lost a husband and got a mother-in-law now some of you are thinking, oh that ain't a good deal (laughs) huh, that's not a good deal Ron She got a mother-in-law who led her to God. She got a mother-in-law who constantly encouraged her and gave her wise counsel. This young widow whose dreams had been shattered. This young woman who sacrificed so much. This young Moabite girl who was living below the poverty line. This Angelina Jolie lookalike was marrying again. And this time she's marrying A godly, wealthy, and extremely generous man. She went from the poor house to the penthouse like that. Hey, when harvest time came around the following year, she wouldn't be found out there scavenging in the fields trying to find something to live on because now she owned those fields. Oh, next next year in the harvest, she wouldn't be following Boaz's servants around. I tell you, they would be following Boaz her around she conceived and gave birth to a son she was the great grandmother of King David and her Gentile blood coursed through the body of Jesus Christ when he walked on this earth hey that sounds like a masterpiece to me what a rebuilding effort on the part of God what about old Boaz things worked out pretty good for him too I can't prove this conclusively, but I believe Boaz was a middle aged bachelor. Perhaps he had everything a man could want, but what he wanted the most a wife and a family. So God gave him a wife, and she was godly, and she was hot. (laughs) I'm sorry. Man, you've got to read. I t- you know what makes a Bible come alive? Read it with a little imagination. And through that wife, he gave Boaz a family. Boaz's his life was now complete. It was indeed another masterpiece that God could put in his collection. God took broken pieces of three lives and fashioned a storybook ending for three broken people. You say, what's it got to do with me, Ronnie? I think he's about to do the same thing for you. Amen. I think he's he's getting ready to do the same thing for you. Now, I know what some of you thought. No, 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 no. It can't be me. My life is too broken to be rebuilt. That's not true. Some of you may be thinking, well, I'm too broken to be rebuilt. That's just not true. God uses broken pieces to create masterpieces. Not only can God rebuild your life, He can do it in a way that blows your mind. When He finishes, you'll step back and marvel at how good your life is. But I caution you: don't try to figure God out, because you can't, man. If you don't get, let me know. That, that's a that's a good lesson to get. But there's a whole lot more to get here. Don't ever try to figure God out. Why is that? You can't. Don't ever try to figure God out. Why is that? You can't. It's futile. And it's frustrating to try. I promise you, Naomi never sat back one day and said, I know how God's going to rebuild my life. I know what the the building blocks are going to be. It's going to be a daughter-in-law, a relative, and a grandchild. Those would be the building blocks he uses. She never would have seen that. I mean, I don't picture Ruth sitting back and going, okay, how is God going to rebuild my life? He's going to use a mother-in-law and an old half-Gentile, half-Jewish man. She couldn't have seen that. She could never have seen that. Can, Can you picture Boaz going, I know how God's going to rebuild my life. He's going to use a relative's widow and a Moabite girl. Man, These three broken people could have never seen in advance what God was doing. Only in hindsight could they really behold the magnificence of this masterful work of art. I believe God has already to gathered together the pieces that he's going to use to rebuild your life. And I believe he has spread them out in front of him like, the, like pieces of a puzzle. I believe that some of these pieces are people, broken people, just like you. I believe some of these people are people with huge voids in their life, just like you. Some of these people you already know, some you don't. They may appear at first like a strange concoction. A duke's mixture. But in the end you'll see that they were exactly who you needed. They were timely gifts from God. You write this down. It's going to happen. God is going to take the broken pieces of your life. And create a masterpiece. I want you to direct your attention to the screen behind me. And I've got some friends that are going to tell you a c- very current story of how God took broken pieces and created a masterpiece. You
1: taking a video? All right. Send that mom. Do you like it, Bill? I love it.
0: Did I do good catching it?
1: You did awesome. You love me? I love you so much. My name is Bill Childs. Uh, I've been attending Golden Corner Church for several years. I've been friends with Ronnie Hart for more than two decades. In 2007, in the fall of 2007, my 18-year marriage uh, began to unravel. It was very difficult. It had been a happy marriage, and so... There's a lot I didn't understand. There's a lot to this day I don't fully understand. Um, uh, but things went south in a very in a very brief time. Um, my wife left me. I came home from work one night um, late from the hospital. And when I walked in the door, it was February 2008. She had packed her bags and left. And so I found myself single and alone for the first time. Again, I, I there's a lot I didn't understand, a lot I still don't understand. It was it was a very difficult time. I, I've never been alone, and, and uh, coming home at night, late at night, to this dark house was really difficult. I felt I felt abandoned. I felt betrayed. I felt betrayed by people, by people around me, and I I felt betrayed by God. Sadly, I, I have to confess that, and it's embarrassing. But I did, and uh, I went to to bed at night, many a night, and I prayed that God would take me while I was asleep because I didn't want to wake up. I didn't want to face the day ahead of me. That was, it was was the low point in my life.
2: I'm Allison Childs. Um, I've been attending Golden Corner Church for eight years. Um, In 2008, Found myself at the what would be the end of a very abusive marriage Um, and I really didn't feel abandoned by God I was bitter but I wasn't I had not been abandoned because on the last day that the kids and I were there um, I, I prayed to God to save us from that marriage And he did. My parents came and got us and took us home, and he answered our prayers. He saved us, and that was the beginning of him answering prayers.
1: A mutual friend introduced us uh, during dinner one night. and I knew she was playing matchmaker, and I thought I was too smart to fall for that. But we did talk and end up, end up going out to dinner one night.
2: I told you no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we did end up going out to dinner, and, and it was a remarkably fun evening. We laughed and talked for hours, and, and I felt a connection. I know that the first dinner led to a second dinner and then to a third dinner. And then I got to meet all the kids. Um, and soon dating became a fuck way disorganized, crazy mess, but movie selection changed. We didn't get to go see action thrillers anymore and movies had to have chipmunks or smurfs or cartoons. One night, I'd had a hard day in the emergency department, and I was going over to Allison's just to eat dinner and watch television. I drove up, and this little bitty boy, buck naked, came running out of the house squealing my name, and he jumped on my right leg, and then Drew was right behind him on my left leg. Aubrey was too sophisticated for any of that. <laughs> but that night during after supper, we were watching television, and Aubrey leaned over and put her head on my shoulder and she said I love you Bill and that night on the way home I I I felt God speak to me and the message was crystal clear and he said they need you and he also said you need them and I did
2: um I can remember one dinner we had I had Cass with me, and he was maybe 15, 16 months old, and he stuck a peppercorn in his nose, and I thought, I mean, he sneezed and sneezed and sneezed at dinner, and Bill said, maybe he has a peppercorn in his nose, and I thought, well, my kid's not a moron, you know, he's not going to stick a peppercorn in his nose, so I was kind of offended, and took him to the pediatrician and he dug the peppercorn out of his nose and I thought oh wow that guy's pretty smart (laughs) and he's sweet and he called and checked on us and when he called he said it sounds like chaos there and it was Cass was in the tub crying Drew was running around the house with a poodle chasing her barking just mad barking and Aubrey was sitting at the table doing her homework playing over and over she had this little barbie phone and it would sing, it's a Barbie world, you know. And Bill said, what is that? And I was like, that's my life. And, wow, well, <laughs> it, it was chaos. It was. But it was meant to be our chaos.
1: <laughs> I know that I've heard so many times, pastors, I've heard Ronnie talk so many times about being patient and through the bad times trust God and know he's there but this made it real for me and, and that would be my advice that there's always going to be bad times and we don't understand them but there, there's there's better days ahead there's a plan and things that we can't see now will become clear to us later maybe not even on this earth but they will become clear to us one day and uh, and it it did for us um, that Allison's ex-husband and and the kid's biological father has really turned his life around and is doing much better and the relationship that he's renewed with his children has been mm-hmm. initially a little awkward for me but I can see that it's important and and it's another piece of the story that's...
2: well, That was a concern of ours from the beginning and you know, not only did we pray for us, we prayed for him, you know, that he would find happiness and that, you know, that he would develop a relationship, a good relationship with the children. And, you know, we're all good now. I can remember um, sitting in the kitchen with mom, living in Hartwell, just wanting a dad because I was not close with mine at that time. And all of my friends, their parents still live together. And they're always happy, and I just always wanted that. I wanted my parents to be together, and now I'm, I've got three amazing parents, and <laughs> they always they care, and they want us happy all the time. It's our happiness over theirs, and, I mean, they deserve the world, and it really means everything to us.
0: So God uses pieces to create masterpieces. So in light of that, what do we do? I think Bill nailed it. My encouragement to you would be be patient. It takes time to create a masterpiece. So just wait on God. As you're waiting, don't let a bitter life make you a bitter person. You grieve the bad, but you celebrate the good. Always remember that when life is bad, God is good. Therefore, don't you run from him. You run to him. Watch carefully and you'll see evidence that your bad times are turning into blessed times. And when you see this, it's going to give you hope. You know what hope will do? Hope will get you through it. Hope will enable you to be patient with God as he takes broken pieces and turns your life into one of his many masterpieces. So where do we go from here, Ron? Coming back to Ruth next week. I think we're ready now. To answer that question, why would a good God allow bad things to happen to good people? You going to be here? Yes. Amen. Let me pray for you. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. This is an amazing story that we've just covered. Darkened places, but yet the ending, so incredible. Incredible. I thank you that you're the same God. You're the the same God we read about in the book of Ruth. And you're always good. And you're always up to something good. I pray this that uh, I know there are hurting people in this room. I know there are broken people in this room. I pray that in this story, I think there have been times where they've seen themselves in the pain and in the darkness and in the difficulty. Maybe even in the bitterness and the anger. I I don't know. But I think they've seen themselves. I pray that in chapter 4 they kind of get a glimpse of their future. And they recognize that one of these days, one of these days, you're going to put it all together. And it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be a masterpiece. Thank you for that, God. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You are free to go.